It's October 30th, 2005. Welcome to show number seven for Treks in Sci-Fi. You've been using me and my crew. Scotty, beat me up. There is a curse on your ship. Fascinating. You were saying something about trick or treat. Stand by to receive our transmission. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi for this week. This is your host, Rico, and this week, we've got a, quite a few things to talk about. Again, I my goal is to keep the podcast under uh, 45 minutes or so, but that's about all I'll say on that topic. That's my goal. I've gotten uh, quite a lot of uh, email this week, probably uh, five or six uh, new listeners or new emails from listeners that I'm going to talk about here shortly. First thing, I want to welcome anyone to to the podcast that may be the first time to the show. Uh, thanks for listening. And anyone that's been listening, out, uh, obviously, for a period of time out there, I appreciate the support, and I hope uh, you'll find this episode or this show just as interesting. This week, um, the two main topics that we'll be talking about are the original uh, series episode, Cat's Paw, which was broadcast during the second season of Star Trek. And I am also going to be looking at the collectible for the week will be um, the alien tracker device from the movie Aliens that was produced by Master Replicas. I think it first came out uh, about a year ago, so we'll be talking about that later in the show. But the first thing I want to get to is... Listener email. Okay, the first email I was going to read is from Alyssa Joaquin, I believe is how you say her. I think it's a, a, a woman. That's her last name. Uh, she says she's been a, a fan from the beginning of the sh- this podcast, and she's looked forward looks forward to the podcast, which I, I appreciate. It's I look forward to doing them myself during the week. She also makes a suggestion about. Uh, talking about Star Trek conventions and maybe even doing some kind of mini podcast from a convention. I'd, I'd love to do that sometime. Uh, the Midwest area where I live in, we seem to not get the, the Star Trek conventions that we used to. Creation used to do quite a few conventions, at least, uh, oh, probably at least two a year, and I would go to those. And I would love to do a little cast and talk to maybe one or, one or two of the actors if I could get a hold of them from a convention and it is in my plan but it's probably going to be far and few between for me at least i have been to conventions in other states california and different places but that's not at least going to be the main part of this show on uh, i'd love to be able to do it love to have the money to go to a lot more conventions and see more of the stars i've seen i've probably seen i think i've seen everyone in the original series at, at various conventions over the years i have seen most of the next generation cast i believe all of them and quite a few of the people from the other series, Voyager and Deep Space Nine. But uh, I have not been able to go to conventions as much as I used to, but I'd like to uh, do more of that in the future. So thanks again, Alyssa, for uh, your nice email. I've got another email from Robert, and I know I'm going to mess up his last name, Jashonik. I will put uh, information about Robert uh, in the show notes because he is basically, uh, he's an author of short stories, Star Trek short stories in these 
Strange New World books. And he sent me a couple of his uh, stories. He's been published in, I believe it was three or three volumes. And I will, again, link his website in the show notes. And thanks a lot for listening to my podcast, Robert. Uh, I've really gotten behind on reading the Star Trek short stories or novels lately. I, I used to read quite quite a few more. Again, it's just a lack of time on my part, really. I don't read as many. I've read a lot of the Shatner novels and quite a few other books, and I, I miss doing that. I'm going to try to catch up on it, and I will definitely check out um, your stories in the Strange New World books. But again, if anyone's interested on Robert's works, I will put uh, information on his work in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, Robert. Got another nice email from my friend Morales in Mexico. And just want to say again, thanks for listening still. He, he enjoyed my last podcast where I talked about my uh, homemade Spock station, which uh, I, I wish I would have had a little bit more time. I may do a special little cast on, on that uh, item again in the future because I, I didn't really get into the detail of how I did it. If anyone's really interested in more detail, please send me an email. The email again for the show is treksf at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to uh, to tell you more about that uh, particular item. But thanks again for listening from Mexico. Got another email from uh, Lindsay Tillman. Now, uh, it's Lindsay Ann Tillman, so I'm assuming this is a, another woman that emailed me, um, which um, I'm, I'm really happy to have some women emailing. I know there's a lot of women Star Trek fans. Star Trek, the neat thing about it, I've always seen at least, I would say... Unlike maybe some other fandom, maybe Star Wars, although there are a lot of women Star Wars fans, but science fiction in general has been a male-oriented area. But I think Star Trek is a little bit of an exception to that. I've I've run into over the years probably just as many women as men that are uh, Star Trek fans. So Lindsay's been listening to the Star Trek episodes that I've been doing and the reviews of those, and she's um, enjoying it a lot. And I would just uh, appreciate uh, any comments you want to send in. Like I've said before, I'd really uh, like people to send in comments on shows, and I'll play the audio if you if you have a chance to do that, if you have the equipment to make a little audio comment on an episode. I'm going to try each show to talk about what I'm going to be talking about in the next one, so please send those in. But thanks for listening, Lindsay. I appreciate uh, your email. Last email uh, was kind of neat. Uh, it's from someone just named D, D-E, uh, I'm not sure, woman, man, um, but they uh, they made the comment that they find my uh, podcast sort of like sci-fi NPR. Said I'm very enthusiastic, but uh, I also bring out a lot of intelligent points in the shows that they may not have thought of, and I I really appreciate that. I never really thought of myself... uh, I never really thought about myself as intelligent. No, that's uh, maybe not true. Um, I do try to... You know, when I do the shows, I've watched the Star Trek episodes, especially the original series, so many times over so many years that a lot of what I say is are things that are just been rolling around in my head, I guess, over the years, and getting them out on a, in an audio format like this is kind of fun and neat for me because it's not something that I, you know, really sit around and think about a lot. I think it's just sort of been generated in my head over time. But thanks for listening, D. Uh, I'm glad that you're enjoying the show. Right now, we're going to switch gears and get right into the first main topic, and I see that uh, I'm about seven or eight minutes, so doing okay. We're going to talk about the second season original series episode, Cat's Paw. Here is the uh, audio from the preview for this show. The audio for the preview is not all that great. There's not a lot of dialogue, but I'll play it anyway, and here it is. Captain's Log, Stardate 3018.2. 
Crewman Jackson is dead. Captain Kirk, there is a curse on your ship. Temperature, sir. It keeps rising. We're burning up, sir. Well, for everyone, again, uh, just a quick uh, mention, this is uh, a spoiler-ridden type of podcast, always. I'm talking about the episode Cat's Paw in in great detail, so if you haven't seen this episode, please go see it before uh, you listen. Okay, the the episode Cat's Paw was broadcast, I believe it was about fourth in the second season, but it was actually filmed first for the second season. And there are quite a few little changes in this episode that you see for the first time. The main thing in the second season that happened was that the introduction of the character of Pavel Chekhov, Mr. Chekhov, uh, the navigator on the bridge of the Enterprise, played by Walter Koenig. And he, there was a, there's a lot of background and information about why he was added to the show, but the, the basic story that I've always heard and the one that I hear the most often is that there were some Russian newspapers and Russian uh, reports coming out about the series Star Trek. And while they enjoyed the show, they did not really understand why in the future you had mostly, you know, quite a few people that looked like they were, you know, Americans or American-type people. But there were no, there, you know, there were no Russians. And Russians were, were very active in space, especially at that time, and still are. So they had a little issue with that. And Gene Roddenberry heard about these things, and he, he completely agreed. And then since the bridge position of the navigator had gone through lots of different people and they hadn't didn't really have a regular they had the helmsman mr sulu but they didn't have a regular navigator so that was a perfect spot they put uh the character mr Chekhov, this young brash russian character in and he became very popular especially with the young ladies uh there was another tv show on called the monkeys at the time and especially in this episode cat's paw you'll notice that mr Chekhov has this sort of very beetles very monkeys uh, large wig on his head that gives them this long-haired look, which which is kind of humorous. I think he only really wore it in Cat's Paw, maybe one other episode, but the rest of the time it was his own hair. Um, the they were trying to appeal to those who you know big fans of the Beatles, the Monkees in the 1960s, so they threw this big floppy wig on his on his head. But um, anyway, the character Mr. Chalkoff introduced in this episode playing a, uh, well, taking over really on the bridge for Mr. Spock because he ends up on the planet. Let's go a little bit more now into the episode. The, the next clip I want to play, this episode, Cat's Paw, was Star Trek's Halloween episode. It was broadcast a couple of days before Halloween in 1967. So this this was supposed to be Star Trek Scarefest, and, and listen to this clip near the beginning of the show. The man is dead. Captain Kirk, can you hear me? There is a curse on your ship. 
Leave this place, or you will all die. That's Crewman Jackson. Interesting, he does not have a, uh, I have to look again, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a red shirt on. He has a gold shirt on, and he's a crewman that actually, uh, one of the rare people that's not a red shirt that dies on Star Trek. So, But he was on the planet, and he comes back to the Enterprise, and McCoy says he's dead, of course, and they get this message from the planet that says, you know, your your ship is cursed, take off, leave, and of course they can't do that. Sulu and Scotty are still down on the planet. So Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to see what's going on. And then they first run into uh, this sort of group of scary witches that are supposed to frighten them off. And it's interesting in this show, you know, that it turns out these aliens basically have the wrong idea. And this also happens in the episode The Squire of Gothos, which is another favorite of mine. They have this sort of wrong idea of, of humans almost sort of an ancient idea, certainly not a 23rd century idea of humans, that that they could easily frighten off um, them and keep them away from them on the planet. But anyway, I'll play this this little clip of the witches on the planet. stuff there and obviously mr spock doesn't care at all about it kirk is not easily frightened and dr mccoy is you know he's there and he's a doctor so he's not going to be bothered anyway they end up going through the this fog that's on the planet and find this castle and once they get there they see uh, a gentleman an older gentleman named korob who's sort of dressed up sort of like a wizard he's waving around a magic wand this castle is very medieval looking and there are things, you know, there are torches and candles lit and a big spread of food. And it's very all sort of, you know, historical, really, in essence. It's not uh, modern at all. And Kirk and Spock, of course, they're, they're not really understanding all this and why why this is, um, this is, everything looks just odd to him, especially with people that seem fairly, fairly sophisticated and advanced to look like they are. But the next thing I'm going to play, the next clip, uh, basically, when, once they get inside, they they get um, the the floor falls out at one point, like a like a trap in the castle, like a trap door, or not really a trap door, but the the floor gives way, and Kirk, Spock, and McCoy find themselves captured and chained up to a wall in sort of a dungeon type setting, and then there's a little exchange with Kirk and Doctor McCoy down uh, there. Just a short little clip I'm going to play now. Spock, are you all right? Yes. I am undamaged, Captain. Bones. Doc. 
You were saying something about trick-or-treat. I like that uh, this, like I said earlier on, was, was definitely Star Trek's Halloween episode. And they tried to come up with something that was both scary and but interesting with a science fiction twist to it. This episode, I, I should have said a little earlier, was written by uh, Robert Block, uh, a very good author, written a lot of books, and he wrote a few episodes for Star Trek. I don't have them all in front of me right now, but he was a pretty regular contributor to the original series. So they get uh, taken uh, to meet up with Korob, and there is a little exchange that I... One of the, one of the key things I like about this episode is is the assumptions that the aliens, Korob and Sylvia, which you'll meet soon, too, in the episode. She comes in fairly soon. But their assumptions about humans and human nature uh, turn out to be quite a bit wrong, and that's really what turns out to be their undoing in the show. They underestimate and, and have judged humans uh, incorrectly. And there's a good exchange here with Korob explaining some of that to Captain Kirk, uh, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy. Here it is. Our analysis of you may have been in some small way in error. But you were warned to stay away, and yet you came to save your comrades. That proves loyalty. Your bravery was tested, and you did not frighten. And despite my failure with these bright baubles, I perceive that you cannot be bribed. In many ways, you are quite admirable. I like that... I like that uh, little exchange that he that he has with them there. It, it goes to explain quite a bit of, of why they've made these mistakes and assumptions about humans. And obviously the crew of the Enterprise is, is not something that can be easily, or the crew there can be easily frightened away with the little parlor magic. And there's an interesting quote. I may have even mentioned this on a previous podcast, but Arthur C. Clarke, a, a famous and, and wonderful science fiction author, has has a quote out there, and I won't get the quote exactly right, but I'll just kind of give you the essence of it. But he has a, a comment that he's always said that any uh, advanced civilization or culture that's sufficiently advanced will appear like uh, appear to be using like magic to a lesser advanced uh, species or civilization, whatever you want to call it. And in a, in essence, you know, you think about it this way. It's the year 2005 right now. Just think of a couple hundred years ago, if you were able to show people some of the modern things that we all take for granted now, being able to talk to other people on a little box that you carry around, a phone, television, um, uh, cars even. It's just, it would appear really if you were waving around a wand and had a robe on or something like that to people of, of just a few hundred years ago that you were a, a witch, a, a warlock or some kind of thing like that, that they couldn't. They would not understand that technology and man's, you know, sort of, I've always felt that if man can sort of dream it or, or vision or imagine it, it you, you know, we can create it. And it's just, it's just a matter of, you know, the rest is just details, I guess, in a way. But to a few hundred years ago, this, this all would have appeared, uh, uh, appeared like magic. And that's this, sort of like the way this episode goes in Cat's Paw, that the creatures or the aliens, Korob and Sylvia, they're able to wave around a wand, and, and they're able to do things that maybe Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise can't do that easily, but a lot of it they could do with technology. They are able to you know, create a plate of gems that they sort of throw in front of Captain Kirk, and of course he's not interested. He makes a comment they could make these gems real easily on the Enterprise if they wanted to. 
So it's and, and their ability to make things sort of appear and disappear is really nothing different than the transporter can do. So and eventually on especially on next generation Star Trek Next Generation they have the the nice or the very uh, sort of fun holodeck feature on on the crew or the crew of the next generation that actually was supposed to be on the original series but due to budgets and things like that it it never never showed up but it was an idea back then it does show up in the animated star trek series and i'm getting way off the episode of cat's paw but i just wanted to bring into that that this episode really touches on that arthur c clark saying about you know a very advanced culture will appear to be using like magic to a lesser advanced species all right, now we're going to go back to the show a little more. Uh, the next little clip is there's a confrontation. You know, Kirk's trying to get free of Korob and Sylvia. They've taken their phasers, and they don't have any of their weapons and all that, or their communicators and so on. And Captain Kirk does get the drop on him at one point, but then Sylvia pulls out this nice little pendant, which I, I'd love to get one, and there have been a few replicas made, but nothing official. There's a... a a metal pendant, a pewter, or, or some kind of metal uh, sh- ship. Or, or sorry, it's the Enterprise. It's a it's a kind of a little model of the Enterprise hanging from a chain that Sylvia pull, whips out, and she starts swinging this thing over a flame. And she calls this, you know, they're they're using magic, and it's sort of like a voodoo doll in essence, where she's doing something to an object that appears to look like the Enterprise, and what she's doing to it, pulling it over this flame, holding it over this flame is the ship, the real Enterprise, up in orbit starts to get hot, of course. And here's a little bit of that exchange with um, what's going on in the Enterprise when Sylvia's waving her little model Enterprise over a candle. Never mind about us. What's happening up there? Temperature, sir. Keeps rising. Reading, mister. It's up 60 degrees for the past 30 seconds. We're burning up, sir. Yeah, that uh, that little model of the Enterprise there ends up also in this episode getting sealed in a, a sort of a plastic lucite type block, and they they use that example or that that visual effect to show that uh, the Enterprise is, is surrounded at that point by some kind of force field. In other words, they they can't maneuver, they can't leave orbit, they're kind of trapped. It's not really shown in space, but it. The idea of it is, is that they can't leave. They're stuck there. That piece of uh, that item, that little item there, was in the Smithsonian Institute for, for a period of time. I'm not really certain if it's still there. Maybe somebody out there listening knows. I was at the at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum quite a, well, eh, four or five years ago, and they have the large 11-foot model of the Enterprise downstairs in the gift shop still. I have some pictures of that. And it's still on display there, but I, I didn't see the the small lucite uh, covered Enterprise model from Cat's Paw at the at the institute anywhere. It may still be there somewhere. Maybe it's just not on on display. So the Enterprise is trapped. Kirk uh, and the rest of them are still trying to figure things out. Uh, what's going on with these two aliens, Korob and Sylvia? They don't really believe all this mumbo jumbo, as Kirk calls it. At one point, you know, especially since these these appear to be aliens, they're not human. And they have all these, you know, they're putting on all these trappings and appearances of Halloween, and there's a black cat running around, and the, the, 
the medieval and dungeon look of things and there's skeletons around. Oh, here's another interesting little uh, tidbit. Um, you know how Kirk always talks to uh, Dr. McCoy and calls him Bones? Well, there's a little exchange when they first wake up, and I think I have already I played that uh, clip already. But he usually calls Dr. McCoy Bones, but because there's this skeleton hanging on the wall uh, next to Dr. McCoy, he calls him, he, he corrects himself and says, Hey, Doc. So that, that I thought was kind of interesting. The other part about Cat's Paw that's kind of fun, if anyone out there has seen these, and I, they're still available, I think you could even find them on the Internet, but Star Trek blooper reels, which were outtakes from the various Star Trek episodes of the original series, and they did these on the later series as well, but there are quite a few uh, clips and outtakes from this episode from Cat's Paw in their blooper reel for the second second season, and I think they... Uh, I think they just look like they were really having a, a fun time. A lot of it has to do with the little fights that they have with the zombified... Is that a word, zombified? The zombies of uh, Mr. Uh, Sulu, Scotty, and eventually Dr. McCoy. They have to fight them because they've got these phasers on them and you know they're leading them around. But they're not very... They, they're zombies in a way just like they are in zombie movies these days. They don't have. They don't seem to have all the coordination and skill like they would if they weren't zombies. And and Doctor Doctor, excuse me, Mister Spock and Captain Kirk have no real trouble uh, taking them out, knocking them out, and and then going to uh, confront uh, Sylvia and Korob. It turns out though that Korob is really uh, on on their side in a way. Sylvia's gotten out of control. Part of this episode involves. And this is played on in Star Trek over and over again. Korob and Sylvia come from a more advanced race. They can do certain things a little more, a little easier and maybe a little more sophisticated than the crew of the Enterprise. But what comes out from these from them is that they've lost a lot of their emotions. They've lost a lot of their ability to dream, to imagine, and that's really what they're trying to get from the you know Kirk, Spock, you know, and the Enterprise, and that they they can't. It's like I said earlier, if you can dream something, you can create it. Well, they've lost, things are so easy for these aliens, Korob, Sylvia, or whatever their real names are, that they don't dream anymore. They don't, they can't even come up with what they might desire or, or want. There's, there's nothing left for them. So they haven't, uh, they don't have anything left to dream about, and that's what they're trying to get from Captain Kirk. The next clip I want to play, though, is where Kirk and Sylvia are having a little exchange and he sort of he sort of basically says, nah, I'm not really interested in you. And he rebuffs her, which for Captain Kirk is a pretty good thing. Listen to this clip. And it's device. You do use tools. Oh, it gives only form. You're teaching me substance. You haven't changed your mind. You won't return home. My home is here with you. A billion worlds of sensation to pick and choose. There is no fire in your mind. You're trying to deceive me. It's here, like words on a page. You are using me. Why not? You've been using me and my crew. Yeah, I like that little exchange with Sylvia and Captain Kirk there. 
there are other little parts in the episode where she's trying to seduce him. She changes in different clothes, different looks, but he, he doesn't, he's not really interested. He just wants to get out of there, get the crew back and get everyone back to the enterprise. The last clip I'm going to play last audio is kind of near the end of the episode and, and how Kirk solves the problem. They discover that there's a, this wand that they're waving throughout the episode is called a transmuter and they need this to sort of focus their, their abilities and their powers and Kirk gets a hold of it from Korob, who who ends up dying, or he gets caught in sort of another uh, ceiling that's falling down. I think it's from that big cat that floats around in this episode. But anyway, there's uh, an exchange with Sylvia and Captain Kirk near the end of the episode where he uh, has the transmuter, and she is not very happy about that. Give me the transmuter. No. You fool. Don't you know what you're giving up? Everything that your species finds desirable. Look at me. I'm a woman. I am all women. I don't know what you are, but you're not a woman. You've tortured my men and taken their minds from them. You asked for love and returned pain instead. Korov was wrong. I didn't destroy all your weapons. Give me the transmuter. Give it to me. So that's it. Once the once the transmuter is destroyed, all the power, everything that they had created disappears, and they see that Sylvia and Korob now are these small little aliens that are very probably a few inches in size. The special effects on that in the episode are not very good. You can even see the little wires for the the for the aliens that their true form appears and and what they really look like. I kind of had wished that when they made the dvds that they went through and sort of cleaned that up and made it look a little bit better but they, i don't think they really have the i don't know the time or the money or whatever reason they don't they don't do that kind of thing they clean up the episode as far as the look and the color and that but they don't take out things like that but anyway that's the that's the episode cat's paw uh, a nice little fun halloween show for star trek which probably the only one i think they've ever done like that uh, they never did anything like that in the following or the future uh, star trek series that came out next generation and so on next generation had a few episodes you know kind of with spooky kind of things in it but nothing nothing quite like uh this um this episode did you know and introduced uh Chekhov also on the bridge the neat thing they also had i thought with with this episode was the character of DeSalle. he shows up uh in a couple of second season shows and i think he actually makes a pretty good um person to put in command on the bridge of the enterprise he seems pretty no nonsense he he seems to do do a good job and i would have liked to have seen them keep that character on a side note um, i will talk a little bit now about uh, some of the fan films star trek fan films that are out there but i'm going to take a little break and i will be right back Okay, I'm back. There are a couple, two especially, that I want to talk about as far as Star Trek fan films that are on the internet these days. The first one, which came to mind because of the character of DeSalle, is the Star Trek New Voyages series. And I will put uh, links to this in the show notes on the website so you can take a look for where to get to these places. But they have, um, they've done two full 
episode so far, and they're working on a third that's actually going to be a lot of fun because they're going to involve uh, Walter Koenig as Chekhov in the, this third episode that they're doing. But the quality and care and sets and everything that they do on this next New Voyages, sorry, not next, New Voyages fan film is, is really uh, top-notch. The effects are all done on computer for the ships and the out exterior type things like that, planet uh, type uh, orbits and all, ship battles. And the sets that they've built are really, really good. The bridge looks great. They This uh, New Voyages show basically is supposed to simulate the like if they would have had a fourth and a fifth season of the original series they have new actors playing Kirk Spock McCoy and so on but I I think they do a great job with it it's a lot of fun to watch and the quality of the of the shows just the technical quality of it is really good they even have versions out that you can get and burn to a DVD and play on uh, you know your TV which they look really good that way quality the resolution is nice and I highly, highly recommend you check that out sometime. And they have uh, included the character of DeSalle, which, again, was, was what reminded me of, of talking about these things on this uh, podcast today. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun. The scripts are pretty good. The second episode was, was involving uh, the Doomsday Machine. They kind of uh, meet up with the Doomsday Machine again. And I don't want to give too much away, but I thought that was a really good show. And it, it also involves a little time travel. It's It's... It involves a lot for a 45- or a 50-minute episode that they did. So, again, take a look in the show notes for the link. I think it's just uh, maybe newvoyages.com, but I, I don't want to say for sure. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, and you can take a look then. Yeah, I just checked. It is newvoyages.com for that one. The other one I want to talk about is the Starship Exeter fan film they have put out uh, one complete show so far and they've got through the next show through the first act of it that they've put out there they're putting this one out in parts because of all the effects and all the post-production work they're having to do on these but i i really like this one also this one is basically set on a different starship unlike new voyages which is basically still the enterprise and kirk and crew this one is on the starship exeter but the era is the same as the original Star Trek series. This is still set in the 23rd century. The ship and everything, of course, is part of the the same fleet, so it, the look of it is just like the Enterprise. They're just using a different crew. This is Captain Garavik is, is his name on the Exeter, and they do a really good job. They have an Andorian on the bridge. They they have really nice-looking sets. They're, this... Um, this Tresarian intersection that is their new episode they just got out right now. The first act of that looks really, really good, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of it. So check that out. I will put their link. Their link is fairly complicated, or sorry, their link is a little complicated. It's like homepage.mac.com slash Starship Exeter, but I'll put that in the show notes, and you can take a look at that. So those two, uh, there are many others, and I will try to put some other links at some other time on my website. But those are the two main ones that I, I enjoy seeing, and I think they're they're really high-quality productions. And if you're a Star Trek fan, definitely take a look. Hey, everyone. This is Scott Johnson from the Extra Life Radio Show. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with my friend Rico.
Okay, the collectible that we're going to talk about this week is by, again, Master Replicas. But this one is not a Star Trek or Star Wars piece. It is from the movie Aliens, and it is the alien tracker device that they use in that movie to find the aliens and where they're at. I've got it here, and I'm going to play, um, turn it on and it to kind of give you a feel for the sounds and things that it makes when it's working. It has some nice electronic effects. That sound is the uh, tracking device uh, locating the aliens. I guess there's aliens nearby. It has a, um, a nice display. Basically, the way it works, there's a switch on it. You turn it on, and the display out, there'll be some pictures on the website, starts to blink, and little blue LED lights move in on you to uh, simulate the aliens coming in. And it looks a lot like the one in the movie. If you're a fan of those movies, they use these devices in there to sort of track where the aliens are at, keep uh, keep an eye on them. It's uh, a real, real nice piece. They've got a uh, nice weathering effect on it. It's painted in sort of an olive drab color like the one in the movie. It has a cloth, kind of cloth nylon type strap to wear, you know, to sling it over your shoulder or whatever. And again, it has um, some great electronic effects. The view screen on it is really neat. They have um, the moving dots on there when the aliens are approaching. There's a couple of other LEDs below that that blink that were also on the piece. And uh, it comes in a real nice uh, display case to keep it uh, try to keep it dust-free. And it's uh, a really nice piece by Master Replicas. They, did, they were going to do quite a few pieces from the Alien and Predator movies and... They haven't had a lot of success, I guess, in sales for those, so they cut back on what they were going to do. They've only, I think, done now maybe three. They did this alien tracker device. They have um, an alien chestburster from the AVP movie that was out last year, which uh, I also have got that. It's it's a, it's made out of, uh, I guess, cast out of like porcelain. It's very heavy, and but they did a real nice job on that. And they also did a, a Predator spear piece which is used in the predator movies unfortunately that's a sort of a static piece it doesn't extend and do all the things that it does in the movie but it's a neat little item i don't have that one but um master replicas also has that out they were going to do a whole alien head a predator i think uh, mask and that i don't think they did that piece and they're going to do quite a bit more but they have not uh the alien head especially was was pretty neat looking and it was going to be fairly expensive but there aren't a lot of those out there, and most of the ones that are out there are real expensive. But I don't think they had enough pre-sales to generate or generated enough pre-sales to justify building and making that piece. So hopefully they'll do some more in the future. There's quite a bit they could do. Some of the ships might be kind of neat. They're doing some of the ships for Star Wars right now, Master Replicas. They've done an AT-AT, a Snowspeeder. They're doing a Y-Wing next year, and, and they're they're going to do a Millennium Falcon also. I'm getting a little off the alien tracker device topic but just to give you an idea they do ships so alien ships would be kind of neat especially the nostromo from the first movie and some of the ships from the second movie would be good as well but this uh, i'll put quite a few pictures up on the website for the alien tracker if uh, you like these kind of things it takes uh, a few batteries i think they're just two or th- maybe three or four double a i don't think it was anything special about the batteries this thing took because it's a fairly large piece they didn't have to really miniaturize or, like on some of the Star Trek items, keep uh, a real small battery for the uh, item because it doesn't have a lot of room. So this one uh, was pretty simple. 
It's um, I think they still have it on their website. I'm going to check real quick, make sure. Yep, I just checked. It's still on uh, Master Replica's website. I have that Master Replica's linked several places on my webpage already, so you should be able to find that, no problem. It's just masterreplicas.com. And it's still for sale under the Alien section there. Uh, you can see a lot more information probably even that I'll put up uh, on their uh, on their website about the, uh, the piece. Like I said, it comes in a really nice case too, which they haven't done a lot on some of the larger items. I was happy that they did it for this because it is kind of big. Uh, when you put it in a display, and the case is, is fairly large, just like they did a case for the Stormtrooper Blaster that I talked about a couple of shows back, they, um, they're starting to kind of not do cases as much. The smaller items like lightsabers and that, they can do cases for pretty easily, but the larger ones are more difficult. They're pretty costly to ship, too. Just the box itself becomes kind of big, and they're, they're easily damaged and things like that. So it's nice that they included a case with this. So that's the Alien Tracker from Master Replicas. Go take a look. Okay, a few last uh, things I wanted to mention this week. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention I saw a week, couple weeks ago now, I think. I don't think I've mentioned this before, but I saw this movie called Equilibrium with Christian Bale. And uh, it's, it's a really, really good movie. I highly recommend it. It is set sort of in the future. Basically, the society has turned into sort of a 1984-ish world where all everyone is sort of being controlled, and they've eliminated crime, but no one can read books and paint paintings. I don't want to give too much away, but definitely take a look for that uh, in the video store or Netflix if you use that. I use that quite a bit. So Equilibrium with Christian Bale, great movie. A lot of uh, good things in that for people that are fans of science fiction and, and just good movies in general. So take a look at that. The uh, other couple things I wanted to mention this week, I've got um, a few f new pictures up on some of the collectibles that I have on my website. I'm trying to slowly get those up on there. It takes quite a bit of time. Take the pictures, clean them up a little, edit them, and then put them up on the website. So take a look. There are a few more things up and some things you'll see. Uh, new sections have, have at least a detail of what I'm eventually going to get put up, all the things I have on there, even if there isn't a picture, I do have those things. I just haven't got a photo up yet for it. So take a look at the website and let me know what you think. Again, send in your emails. Oh, for next week's show, the last thing I want to say is next week I'm going to talk about, we're going to switch a little for the Star Trek you know, discussion episode. I'm going to go and talk about um, next generation episodes, actually a, a two-parter, one of the best uh, that they ever did called The Best of Both Worlds with uh, Picard and the Borg and all that. Uh, I think every Star Trek fan really enjoys that uh, set of episodes, and I'm going to talk about those next week. And next week's collectible is going to be the Star Trek Next Generation Phaser, also another Master Replicas piece. So next week, a Next Generation-type show. Hopefully you'll tune in for that, and uh, those that uh, think all I know about is the original series, well, that's not completely true. Anyway, this is Rico signing off. Have a good week, everyone. Have a happy Halloween. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Dosti production. 